Welcome to the Inspiring Growth Podcast, where we share stories of struggle that have led to growth. I'm Mark P. Fisher, your Chief Encourager with Inspiring Growth, and times are crazy right now. I get it. We get it. We're all trying to keep our head above water. And now more than ever, I think these struggles that we're all facing are going to turn into stories that are going to actually lead us to growth. I, I was talking with a client yesterday, and I reminded them of the old adage, necessity is the mother of innovation and invention. So I'm in this with you. This is a, this is a struggle right now at home, at work. Uh, I, I was teasing somebody. I said, you know, folks are leaning on the three G's right now, government, Google, and God. I, I don't know what you're leaning into, but I hope that today's story is encouraging. That's why I want to give you something super valuable, a story and a resource. First of all, if you own a business or run a nonprofit, or as I like to say, it runs you, do you know what your digital grade is? I'm offering a free snapshot review of your business during the crisis for small businesses and for nonprofits. The idea is simple. Work on your brand now and make corrections on your website and your advertising and your listings, all the things that matter digitally for you. So when the world starts buying again, you're positioned at the top. So here are my questions for you before we jump into the podcast. Do you know your online reputation grade, A to F? How accurate are your listings so potential customers can find you fast? Like on Google, when some types in air conditioning in my city, do you come to the top? Is the information, phone number, website, address, hours accurate? Do you know what people are saying about you through online reviews? I can help you find all your online reviews, even some you don't know about. In addition, how does your social media presence stack up against your competitors? And is your website and your advertising and your SEO strong? This is the time to be asking those questions. So if you'd like a free Inspiring Growth report, go to inspiringgrowth.biz and click on Discover Your Online Reputation Grade. Now, let's jump into our conversation with Brian Tome. He's an attorney, he's a husband, a father, a friend of mine who fell 900 feet off a river gorge and lived to share his story and his lessons with you today. Ready? Let's jump in. Well, hey, everybody, this is Mark B. Fisher with Inspiring Growth, where we share stories of struggle that have led to growth. And this is a crazy time. I had put the podcast on pause, uh, but then I began to realize, hey, I have, some, I have some extra time on my hands. And I know people who have stories of struggle, both close to me and you know across the universe. And so I reached out to a friend of mine. His name is Brian Tome, and he is with me, socially distancing through a Zoom video call. Good morning. Good morning. Morning, buddy. Where do we, where do we find you today? Uh, I'm in my office in Wilmington. So you're at work. You're not at home. I I am at work. Um, so I've been social distancing. I only come into the office about once a week because somebody uh, checks phone messages, uh, get the mail, that kind of thing. So, tell folks, tell folks what you do now professionally. So I'm an attorney um, in Wilmington, Delaware. I uh, run the Delaware office of a um, regional firm that practices mostly in insurance defense litigation. Yeah. Uh, Product liability, things like that. You've had a few careers. Tell us about what careers you've had. Right out of um, 
a community college, I got in, interested in law enforcement. And um, I had a, a couple of great uh, professors at Cecil College in, in Northeast Maryland uh, who were police officers and taught law enforcement classes there. I took the classes just because they fulfilled a, a breadth requirement in the degree that I was, I was planning to obtain. Uh, and became really interested. One of the professors suggested that I uh, take a summer job as a police officer, seasonal police officer in the beach communities. Um, so I went down and applied for a job at the Dewey Beach Police Department in Dewey Beach. Delaware? Delaware, yeah. Um, worked there for a summer, and at the end of the summer, the um, the police chief liked me enough that he hired me full-time, and I, I was a police officer there for about eight years. How old were you when you started? 19. So you're a police officer for eight years or so, then what? Uh, I had a had an accident, um, I and, and then I uh, was unable to go back. And to let's work. save that story for just a little bit. Yeah. So then I went to work as a probation and parole agent, and uh, from there uh, decided to go to law school, and here I am. Here you are, doing good in the 14 world. 14 years later, 15 years later. From law enforcement to legal representation. Uh, along the way, something pretty dramatic happened to you. And when you told me your story, Brian, I thought, mm, uh, I think there's some people in the universe that would uh, curiously be interested in your story. But I think there's also some things that you learned through this that even helped me. So tell us what happened between being a police officer and that parole agent. Walk us through a little bit of your story. As a young police officer, I got involved in um, skydiving on a whim, took a trip out to Laurel, Delaware, to a small airport and did a um, did my first skydive out there and just kind of fell in love with it. So continued to um, pursue that sport, had close to 500 skydives uh, under my belt when I decided to take up base jumping. Base is an acronym. It stands for Building, Antenna, Span, and Earth. And so the, the concept behind base jumping is, is that you uh, use a parachute to jump off of a tall object, a building, an antenna, a span or a, a bridge um, or an earth like a cliff. Um, so as, as for my first base jump, I went to uh, the bridge day celebration at the New River Gorge Bridge in West Virginia and jumped off of the, the New River Gorge Bridge. Unfortunately, I had a parachute malfunction. Um, the bridge is about 900 feet off of the, the river. And um, I fell at a pretty rapid rate, unable to really control where I was, was going, um, and landed uh, on the railroad tracks alongside the, the river there, mm. Bridge Day Celebration, and um, broke my legs pretty severely. So um, I tell people I might be the only person whose feet touched their knees and lived to tell about it. Um, mm. And so if you can you know, stop to think about that for a minute, my, my, my lower legs uh, collapsed um, basically when I hit the ground. Mm. Uh, so I figured I was going somewhere between 50 and 60 miles an hour when I landed on the railroad tracks. Uh, I was relatively upright. Um, so landed on my feet. Um, I, both of the bones in both 
lower legs, um, fractured, splintered, um, came out of my body. I lost a kneecap on my uh, right leg, um, crushed the calcaneus on my my right foot, which is that that heel bone, um, and was in traction and reconstructive surgery for, um, that was in traction for about 45 days. And then, um, I had 15 reconstructive surgeries over the course of about two years, uh, to rebuild my lower legs. I can't, I mean, none of us, most of us cannot imagine this fall. What do you remember anything about during the fall when you thought, Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, what, what, what happened? What was going on? Yeah. So I, I mean, I was during the fall, I was pretty sure I was going to die. I mean, I, I, I was convinced of it. Um, I, I, I did know enough when I was falling to realize that I was, um, moving towards some power lines on the side of the the railroad tracks. So, uh, we had been warned, uh, the day before the jump that the railroad tracks were, uh, Along the railroad tracks were power lines that, that supplied power up and down the valley. And there were eight lines, uh, four underneath, four on top. And they were carrying a significant amount of, of voltage in them. Um, so when I was falling, that I was headed towards those power lines. And as I got closer to those power lines, the only way to avoid them was to um, collapse a part of my chute to which literally accelerated my fall, mm. um, but kept me from hitting the power lines. Mm. So I remember that part of it, but I also remember thinking I'm not surviving this, mm-hmm. this fall. Uh, I, I don't think there was any, um, practical reason I should have survived the, the fall. Uh, grace of God is, is all it was. Mm. So did you like mentally think to yourself, I'm going to die. Do I want to be electrocuted or crushed? <laughs> I don't think I took the time to think <laughs> of that, like, of it that way. <laughs> and and just from a practical perspective, you said you jumped off a, a, a bridge, right? Correct. Yeah. Wasn't there water? I mean, how did you not just go to the water? Yeah. So that's I didn't fall straight down. Mm. Um, I I fell on a, you know, I didn't I didn't fall um, straight into the water. Instead, I fell, you know kind of to the right of the the uh, river as we were jumping off. So have you gone back to that, that spot, be- you know, since then and, and looked at oh, it yeah. and walked around and yeah. asked yourself how and why did I survive? Um, I, so we've driven over the bridge um, and we've gotten out at some of the, the viewpoints and looked. Um, I've never questioned why I survived. I, I, I'm pretty certain it was God's plan, uh, part of God's plan. Hmm. And I, I feel blessed. Um, but my doctors certainly questioned why I survived. I mean, they, they saw my injuries and, and initially uh, told my, my wife, my family that there was a good chance I wouldn't survive, um, the, because of the extent of the injuries. And then later said, in not so many words that it was a miracle that I did survive. Mm. I had several surgeries before I consulted with the orthopedic surgeon who was ultimately going to be responsible for seeing me through 
the injuries. So the life-saving surgeries that I had were things like uh, muscle flaps where they, they cut muscles out of certain parts of my body and put them into my legs just to create an, an area in the leg, uh, in each of the legs that was conducive to healing. Because the, when the bones fractured in my, my legs, they splintered. Um, the doctors called it a comminuted fracture, which is where there's enough pressure put on both ends of the bone that the bone in the middle um, splinters, uh, almost like a tree that gets struck by lightning. It just kind of pops in the middle. Um, well, those bone fragments uh, damaged the muscle and skin that was around them pretty significantly to the point that it couldn't be saved and had to be removed from my legs. So I, I had muscles that were removed from my, my legs, um, and then they had to find muscles in other parts of my body to replace those so that my, uh, the bones could heal and the, the, my legs could heal. Um, so they took a latissimus muscle from my back and um, some abdominal muscles from my stomach and transplanted them into my legs. Now, they're not connected to nerves, so they don't work. Um, I can't flex them, uh, but they are connected to a blood supply. So they, they live and they create a more or less an area of my leg that just protects the bone and the, and the skin and allows it to, to heal. Now, you and I have, I mean, I've known you for a few years and you walk with a limp, mm -hmm. but you walk. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, after those life-saving surgeries, uh, I met with the doc, the orthopedic surgeon who was going to see me through the healing process, a guy named Kevin Tetsworth. Terrific guy out of the uh, University of Maryland Medical Center. And uh, Dr. Tetsworth came into me and very had a very blunt conversation. He said, look, Brian, um, your legs don't work um, the, the way they, they used to. They're not likely to ever work the way they used to. And I think it would be a much easier and much better um, result for you if you let us amputate your legs from mm. just below the knees and, um, and we get, some, get you fixed up with some prosthetic devices and you learn to, to walk with um, prosthetics. Um, and I, I said it half as a joke, but I said, eh, you know, Doc. And what he explained to me, the other option was, um, a number of surgeries over a long period of time, a process whereby they would stretch the bone that was left in my legs and, and put that bone back together um, and transplant a, a calcaneus in my heel, uh, skin grafts and, and other, a, a number of other pretty difficult surgeries. Um, and he said, and at the end of that process, I don't know how well your, your legs and your, your feet would work. And we don't know whether that process would even be successful because there's plenty of, of, um, opportunity along the way to have hiccups or problems. Now had this doctor operated on someone that had had similar integers. Oh yeah. The, those guys are like, so the university of Maryland, um, limb lengthening and reconstruction oh, clinic. There's a, such a is, thing. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, like, tops in the world it's one of the, the best um orthopedic specialty groups in the world they're the um, team doctors for the mm. baltimore ravens or at least at the time they were the team doctors for the baltimore ravens um i met a number of people who had um 
serious challenges uh, like uh, dwarfism um, or had been burned pretty significantly and had limb damage. Um, and, and these doctors were uh, on the cutting edge of medicine for mm. Uh, treating people with these particular types of injuries and, and conditions. Is there a community of people that have done what you've done and survived? Like, is there a tribe of people like you that you know of? Uh, you mean skydiving going wrong or base jumping going wrong? Yeah. I, so um, there's definitely a community of people who have been injured pretty significantly doing it. Um, there's you know, a lot of people who have died um, skydiving or base jumping. Uh, my uncle. Uh, Peter uh, passed away from skydiving. Mm. Uh, he was uh, uh, skydiving in that that sa- at that same airport that I learned to jump at down in Lower Delaware and had mm. a double malfunction. Both of his parachutes failed, and mm. and um, he died from it. So, but as far as you know, is there are there a group of people out there that get together every yeah. year and have like a reunion? And yeah. I don't I don't know okay. if one. You <laughs> haven't you haven't engaged in one. Now, like a bro- a broken bones club or something. Yes, <laughs> you know, I jumped and survived the club. Um, well, I know for me, having gone through five stomach surgeries, a back surgery that left me temporarily paralyzed, and the process of recovery, it left me uh, totally dependent on pain meds. And it took me several years to get off the pain medicines. Uh, and one of the questions I had from... The doctors who were helping me, it was kind of a medically uh, supervised rehab or detox and getting off all these. Was what if I still have pain? And they said, well, right now, let's just spend 30 days taking you off them and we'll let you try everything you possibly can and you keep doing what works. Well, one of the things that worked was I discovered a, a tribe. Uh, and you're familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, AA, NA, and those types of things. There's a group called Chronic Pain Anonymous. Mm. And uh, so I searched for them and got involved in a men's group that met once a week. And we talked about what it's like to live with chronic pain. And we didn't talk about medicine and we didn't talk about our ailments. We talked about our life and the effects of chronic pain on our relationships. And we just try to be raw and real. And for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, every week, man, I was on that call. And it really helped me, number one, not feel alone. And number two, um, gave me uh, a sense of hope that uh, there's some guys who've gone down the road further and have, are, you know, not just surviving, but actually thriving. Uh, I remember my whole inspiring growth business came out during that time. Uh, so that's why I asked the question, did you have a tribe? Did you have a group of people that were were helping you in any way, shape, or form? No, uh, not a not a group of people who had experienced it. Um, so, you know, I had medical professionals who were all very mindful of the psychological effects of this mm. kind of life-changing injury. injury. Uh, I had a boss uh, of police chief and a mayor at the, the time who were um, just rock stars. And it, mm-hmm. so it, it, I should say I had um, stopped working at the Dewey Beach Police Department. I was working for the, the town of Northeast Police Department there, you know, right near where we live. Um, In Maryland, yep. and, yeah. By so, the way, Northeast and, uh, is not a direction for us. It's actually a town. In yeah. Maryland, right on the headwaters of the Chesapeake Bay. 
it's not it's a location not a direction it's actually yeah. a lifestyle i think but <laughs> true um, woody's crab house is there woody's tacos and tequila is there yeah so um but anyway the the chief of police there and the the mayor uh there um every step of the way were were with me and even when i decided on medical advice um that i was not going to be able to go back to police work and and be very effective at it because of, as you noted I, I walk with a limp um well i i run very slowly um and trip when i try to run so um i would not have been a very effective police officer and even when i made that decision um my police chief and my mayor tried to convince me that they could find a, a different duty for me, a different type of duty for me that would allow me to come back to police work and, and um, continue my career. Just terrific people. Um, but I, I didn't feel like I was up to the, mm. the task physically. Um, so I, I just uh, decided that it was time to go in a different direction. Hey, isn't Brian's story crazy? I mean, I really want you to stay tuned because the lessons he learns, the three lessons that he shared with us at the end of the podcast are invaluable and they're insightful and they're real and they're practical. But I want to remind you also that if you own a business or run a nonprofit and you want to find out what your digital footprint, what your online reputation looks like, please go to inspiringgrowth.biz. That's inspiringgrowth.biz and click on the discover your online reputation grade. And then we'll run that report and send it to you free of charge to help you be working on your brand while the world is shut down. That way you'll be ready when the world starts buying to be at the top. All right, let's jump back into our conversation with Brian Tome. One of the phrases that I've held on to, and it feels very similar to you, is this idea that perhaps some detours aren't actually detours. Perhaps they're actually the path. So though you didn't stay in that line of police work, where did it take you then? Interestingly, um, one of the guys that I skydived with was uh, a judge uh, in Cecil County, uh, Dexter Thompson, terrific guy. Um, a, the kind of judge that, uh, with Solomon-like wisdom, mm. you know, always trying to find the 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 best balance result for the the parties that were in front of him. Um, I'm a very black and white guy, so sometimes his balancing drove me nuts. Um, but he was always he he always strived really uh, hard to to do a fair or just to come to a fair or just result. Um, and uh, Judge Thompson. So after my, my accident, I went back to uh, college to finish my four-year degree. Uh, when I did, uh, and working at parole and probation, um, I had a little celebration, a graduation dinner, and Judge Thompson was a friend of mine that had been uh, skydiving with me for a number of years, and I invited him. And he came out, and we were talking, and he said, Brian, we, we used to have conversations uh, about police work or criminal cases that, that I was working on when I was at Dewey beach and he was a Maryland judge. So, uh, it, you know, none of them overlapped. It was just me talking to a judge, picking his brain mm -hmm. and getting my perspective. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, so when we had this conversation at my graduation dinner, he said, Brian, have you ever thought about going to law school? Because I think you'd make a good attorney. 
Mm. And I said, you know, judge, I, so I was, uh, at that point, um, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, judge, um, I, yeah, that sounds like a, a, a decent idea, but the problem is by the time I applied to law school, <laughs> took the LSATs, got in, went to law school at night because I, I'd have to work. You'd be 60 work. years old, man. <laughs> I said, judge, by the time I graduated from law school, I'd be at least 36 years old. Ugh. And and he looked at me like I was stupid. And he said, are you planning to be 36 anyway? Oh, like eventually you're going to wow. be 36, right? What a insightful question. I said, I never thought of it that, that way. <laughs> so, and, and that's a perfect example of Judge Thompson's wisdom uh, demeanor on the bench yes you know those are that's the way he would think through a problem mm. he would see it the way nobody else saw it mm. on his encouragement i took the uh, the lsats um i did well enough that it was pretty obvious that it, it that law was something that i might excel at um another friend uh, finley mccool who was a local attorney said to me brian you should um take a real estate licensing course if you think you want to go to law school. Mm. Because he said the real estate licensing course is very much like the real property portion of law school. Mm. And if you can sit through that class, find it interesting, enjoy it, then law school might be a a good fit for you. And was that true? Um, It was. I found it to be very much the case. So uh, I went to, and took a real estate licensing class. It's relatively cheap, and and uh, I took it um, two nights a week with a guy named Bob Rossi there in Elkton. For for most of the people in the class, it was intensely boring. Hmm. They complained all the time. They showed up about half of the time. I found it fascinating. I mean, I just love to to go and and have the discussions. This whole idea of a detour, a movement, a change coupled with the wisdom of a judge. Also, there's a, a faith component to your story. Talk a little bit about that. A quote, and I'm going to screw it up. Um, I don't know whether it's attributed to C.S. Lewis or, or Oswald Chambers or who it is, but it's, it's this idea of uh, uh, the hound of heaven chasing you down, like, the, like mm. the fox hound that's chasing the fox. And no matter how you try to get away from um, God, he is sending uh people after you or sending mm. his holy spirit after you kind of i lived that for mm. years um before i slowed down enough to to actually think about what my relationship was like with him grew up in church in uh the episcopal church uh, i knew as an adult that it was a good thing to take my uh daughter to church mm. uh, but i but i didn't uh you know, I, I mostly went for her. I didn't, I didn't think I was going for myself, mm-hmm. but the whole time I was taking her, I was getting fed. Uh, I was, I was getting ministered to by the people who, uh, I was, I was there with. Um, and then I drove a little pickup truck at the time. And, um, when, when my daughter was in the truck, I would, uh, I started out being embarrassed by listening to, the, the typical shock jock radio stations mm-hmm. uh, and and having her ask me questions about what the people on the radio were saying and and feeling embarrassed by it so i i switched to what i thought was a safe radio station a christian radio station and then after a while 
I got comfortable listening to it. And then I just never changed the, the radio station. It was on all the time. And the whole time I'm hearing about God's goodness. I'm seeing God's goodness in the lives of, of other people. I'm experiencing his goodness in my own life, but not really attributing it to him. So you started connecting the, the, the dots, the metaphor of this idea of the hound of heaven was chasing you like a, like a, 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 a dog literally chasing a fox. You, you began to connect those dots, and then you, what, with hindsight, you looked back and went, huh, maybe there's something more to this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's exactly how it happened. And, and uh, gradually, I started to uh, kind of put the Lord to the, the test. You know, we're not supposed to in, in most things, um, but I, I was listening to Christian radio. I heard a guy talking about tithing. I'd never tithed. I maybe pulled a 20 out of my pocket, put it in the plate as the, as the plate was passing when I was attending church, but never even thought about, uh, you know, a tenth of my, my income. Um, and, and I heard a, a radio preacher on this, uh, on this Christian radio station talk about tithing and i never had enough enough money to make ends meet uh, i was always you know robbing peter to pay paul determining mm. what bill was going to be paid late this month versus versus mm. next month um and just decided you know what i felt like the lord was was trying to to reach me uh, and i started to to tithe and and i tell people today um from that day till this i've never had a bill i couldn't couldn't pay. And I, mm. I, I always thought that it was remarkable that I, I, when I started tithing, I wasn't making any more money. I was making mm. the same amount of money. Um, and I was giving 10% of it away. So if I'm listening to this and, and I'm a lawyer, I'm a logical, you know, I'm using my, my mind. How do you, how, like when you look at that story, that part of your story, how do you explain it? So I, I can't, that's, um, that's what they, they uh, I guess in, in law, you would point to as testamentary evidence. So uh, mm. the, only, the only reason you would believe it is because somebody tells you about it, uh, that testifies to it. Somebody, somebody as a witness stands up, says this is, uh, this is what happened. Um, there's no logical reason it should work. You know, there's, if you've got 11... Uh, $11 worth of bills and $10 in your pocket and you give $1 away before you start to pay the $11 worth of bills, there's no reason that you should be able to to pay all those bills. Um, I just know it worked in my own life. As you said that, it reminds me of a story told of Jesus that at some levels it could be a little controversial. Um but there was this time in the life of Jesus where uh, like 5,000 people had gathered and it was time to eat and there was no restaurants nearby. And his friends, they called him his disciples, came to him and said, hey, what do we do? He said, just sit them all down and uh, figure out what's available. And they figured out there was a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And before the day was over, not only had all 5,000 and whatever the number was were fed, but there were leftovers, which made no sense when you think there was only a few loaves and a few fish to start the party. Right. And then somehow, in some divine movement, some would say it was just a miraculous appearing of food. Some would actually say 
it started generosity that flowed throughout the crowds, or a combination of it. It didn't make sense, but it happened. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Interesting. So it's that, it's just that for you, what I'm hearing you say is you you kind of said, okay, God, if this is really a true thing that's, that I should do as a follower of yours, I'm going to do it. And then from that day until now, you've been like, wow, yeah. I'm not missing that. And, and, you know, from that day until now, there's a hundred other ways that, that mm. God has shown himself true and faithful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really just, uh, it was really just my hesitation um, mm-hmm. that kept me from realizing um, how good he was, you know, yeah. how, how filled with his provision my life really has been. One of the biggest lessons that I have learned is just don't give up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had that conversation with my doctor about having my my legs amputated. I said, hey, doc, you know, I want to try and, and save my legs. And I, I actually said to him, and, and uh, you know me, Mark, I'm a little bit of a wise guy. I like to crack jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so he talked to me about uh, amputating my legs. And I said, eh, you know, Doc, I'm kind of attached to my legs. Maybe <laughs> maybe not as attached as I once was, but I'm <laughs> still so attached. So, uh, so, anyway. so be persistent. Don't give up. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And And every step along the way that they told me, you know, you probably won't be able to do this. You probably won't be able to do that. I I just took it as a a challenge to mm. um, to you know, prove them wrong, to do the best I could mm. with what I what I've got. Mm. Um, and the other thing that that I learned along the way, not only through the accident, but but after and into my uh, uh, progression into my career and all, is that I I want to be the kind of person who encourages other people mm. who speaks ability and encouragement into people's lives. And I want to surround myself with people who do the same. Mm. Um, so I've had lots of experiences in the past with folks who tried to convince me that, and, and probably well-meaning, um, mm-hmm. but tried to convince me that I shouldn't, take risks or take chances or mm. pursue a goal or a, a dream. Um, and as well-meaning as it, it might be, it's, it is life killing. It, mm. it, it, it really is. I call um, them dream killers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so our youngest Anna, um, she went to, to try out for a soccer team. It was like soccer ruse. Um, like mm. kindergarten level or Little, or below yeah. ankle biters. Yeah. And, um, and Anna's a natural athlete. I mean, she was born with muscle tone and she's just, just a, a terrific athlete. She went to one uh, soccer practice and another little boy who was there apparently said to her that she was terrible at soccer. And, and she decided from that point forward that she was terrible at soccer. It wasn't something that she was going to be be good at because she believed this other little kid. You know, God's perspective. When, when somebody's telling me what I cannot do, or or the limitations that that I should recognize in my own life, I wonder if God's not thinking, "Oh, I'd like to strangle that guy, knock it off." Mm. 
because he has he equipped each of us with the abilities to do so much more than we can even imagine. And, and we live a, you know, comfortable, uh, risk averse life, um, with the idea that, eh, you know, would rather not take that chance. I'm not able to do that. That's somebody else's mm. strength. That's somebody else's mm-hmm. gift. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, that's baloney. Um, mm. you, you can do a lot more than you think you can. And, uh, so I, I've determined that I'm going to surround myself with people who speak that kind of ability into my life. And I'm going to mm. cut out the people who d- are the dream killers, you know, the people who don't mm. speak into my life. Um, mm. And then I want to be the the kind of person who speaks that life uh, mm. into other people too. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and try hard not to be the guy who kills dreams. And I think that's the curiosity that leads to the discovery of a person's vision that helps you encourage them. I've really started to uh, try to, to differentiate between people's good opinions and well-formed opinions. So mm. like I, I don't allow, about that. yeah. So I don't allow people to give me their opinion of my abilities or my strength. Mm. Yeah, Cause they're not the expert. Exactly. Uh, I, I allow them to give me an opinion um, or their wisdom about something they know about, something they are mm. the expert in, a process, mm. a procedure, mm. an error. So good. How do you do that without making them feel like an idiot? Because yeah. I would be like, hey, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. Talk about what you know. Yeah, I'm not necessarily good at that. Um, that's, oh, okay. That's All why right. I tend to, as opposed <laughs> to have the con- having the conflict and um, and and making just, people just feel stay like away idiots. from them. I do. I, I really yeah. I just stay away from those yeah. people. You know, yeah. I, and it's and it's heartbreaking sometimes. But the people who, um, you know, tell me what I can't do, mm-hmm. sometimes that's the last time they talk to me mm-hmm. because that's I'm interesting. I I, I do not want to hear what I can't do. Yeah, that. But that's a good distinguishing marker. I think uh, it's both intellectually and emotionally uh, wise, uh, rather than just saying I don't, you know like you because of this blah, blah, blah. Very specific about your ability. That's good. Any yeah. other lessons you could uh, say you've learned? You talked earlier about um, pain medication. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was on pain medication for a long time through my accident. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I literally, when they stretched the bones in my legs, uh, Mark, wow. they, they put pins and wires all the way through my, my legs um, and into the bone. And, um, and I, on an, on a, an all thread bolt system around the outside of my legs. Stop. Right. And I would have to turn the bolts to stretch the bone that was left. Um, And it was excruciatingly painful. And a a couple of weeks into that process, um, I got a condition called pancreatitis where my body literally rejected the pain medication that I was on. Mm. Um, And I couldn't eat. I, I got nauseous. I couldn't keep any food down, um, and I had to be taken off the the pain medication. Um, mm. And and there was no fix for it. There was no, uh, we'll switch you to a different kind of pain medication. Or it was just um, the the type the medication pain medication is hard on your on your system, uh, and 
and my body was rejecting it. And I got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. So, um, so that, uh, they took me off all the pain medication and I had to learn to deal with the, the pain. It, it was part of that growth experience. Um, and I, I learned that I can, I'm capable of doing a whole lot more than, um, than I thought I was and capable of dealing with a whole lot more than I thought I was. But learning from the pain is, is a very volitional, like in an intent, like instead of numbing it or running to comfort, like what is in this pain that I can learn from? Yeah. Or maybe don't be afraid of it. Um, okay. is the, the better lesson. So, um, okay. you know, I, I took a lot of that pain medication because I was afraid that of, of the pain that I would experience. Yeah. And, yeah. And it and I did experience once they took me off pain medication. I did experience. Oh, that baby, yeah, um, right, I'm with you. I know that story. But at least in my case, it was from the knees down. Um, so now, I've never had a, a a back injury, but I have friends who have had back injuries, including yourself. And and I I know that it's kind of a different animal because you can't get away from it. Um, yeah, I. I felt like the pain in my legs, I, I, it was a little more distant. Um, you know, it was a little more removed. It was excruciating Mm. at times. Um, but I got to a place where I could, I could live with it. And those, those, uh, devices that they use to stretch my legs, Mm -hmm. I I eventually ended up walking on them. Um, so every day putting my weight on them and to, to move from location to location. So every step was, uh, was painful, but yeah, I, I had a choice. I could either not move or I could do what I needed to get done and, uh, and smile and, and try to be the best person I could through it. Well, inspiring growth listeners, uh, Brian Tom has just given us three practical lessons. He learned they were not in, inexpensive. They were life-changing and I would encourage you to go back, listen to those three lessons, and consider which of those places in your those places in your life that this lesson that Brian had to pay through a skydiving accident that you could short circuit, you could hack in your own life to inspire growth within your own story. Uh, that's probably something worth considering, because I think sometimes when we're in pain or the world has gone to hell, or a coronavirus is crippling our life, uh, if there is some way to see that perhaps the detour that is in front of us is actually designed as our path, but we needed a disruption to take the left turn, it takes some faith. We have to fight through some fear. We have to figure out the economics of it. But could it be possible that detour actually takes us to a place that is more beautiful than where we were heading when we got comfortable? It certainly did in my life. And it did in mine. So, Brian, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I appreciate your friendship and uh, being willing, because let's be real. Brian did not want to do this when I first asked him. And I appreciate you. I guess it took the coronavirus for you to have a little extra time. So thank you. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, thank you, folks, for being a part of the Inspiring Growth Podcast. Please share it, rate it, review it. That helps us get the word out. Grace and peace. 
wasn't that remarkable? I mean, seriously, Brian Tome, um, not only did he live to tell the story, but the lessons he learned were invaluable. Hey, thank you for joining me for another inspiring story of struggle that's led to growth. And just as a reminder, if you would like the free digital reputation report from Inspiring Growth, the grade for your business, go to inspiringgrowth.biz, that's inspiringgrowth.biz, and click on Discover Your Online Reputation. Hey, thank you to Dylan Garvin with Studio D Production for editing today's podcast. If you have a podcast, Dylan can actually take all the stress and time out of your production. Just go check out Dylan at Studio D Production. And if you like the podcast, would you take a moment to like it or subscribe or share and rate Inspiring Growth? I'm super grateful for the five-star rating on iTunes from over 220 folks just like you. And finally, friend. If you want to grow in your connection with others, especially during quarantine, we still need to be kind, be present, and ask good questions. I'm Mark B. Fisher with Inspiring Growth. We'll see you again real soon.